0: good morning let's get straight to markets take a look at the impact for the indices factual succinct all you need to know before your trading day starts subscribe to our newsletter cnbc's daily open
1: beyond the valley. hello and welcome to another episode of cnbc's beyond the valley i'm arjun Kapoor, coming to you from guangzhou china So much going on in the world right now. I hope you're all staying safe. And while you're spending slightly more time at home, I'm glad you're tuning in to hear about central bank digital currencies because that's what we're talking about today. The cool kids called them CBDCs. Now, you've probably heard the word digital currency and what comes to mind is probably Bitcoin. But what we are talking about when we say central bank digital currencies is very different. While Bitcoin isn't issued or controlled by a central authority, CBDCs will be. That central authority will be the central bank, like the Federal Reserve in the US or the People's Bank of China, for example. They will have the power to issue and control this currency. But it's more than just a digital form of, say, the US dollar or the Chinese yuan. The implications could be far reaching for the financial system, the way we interact with it and ultimately how we use money. There's been a lot of chatter from central banks around the world, and central banks really are key to the financial system in control of monetary policy, the supply of money, interest rates, and a whole host of other things. As financial technology advances, central banks have been looking at the implications for them. And that's how the discussion of CBDCs has arisen. But what are they? How might they look? What are the pros and cons? These are some of the big questions. To discuss this topic, I've got a great guest, Raigul Ram Rajan, former governor of the Reserve Bank of India, the Indian Central Bank, and an ex-chief economist at the International Monetary Fund. So he has a great perspective on this. He is now over at the University of Chicago Booth and one thing he has been focusing a lot on is central bank digital currencies. He's one of the leading authors of a recent paper by the Group of 30, or G30, on the topic called Digital Currencies and Stablecoins, Risks, Opportunities, and Challenges Ahead. The G30 is an independent global body comprised of economic and financial leaders from the public and private sectors and academia. So we kicked off the conversation talking about what exactly central bank digital currencies are.
0: Well, at its most simple level, it's replacing what you have in your wallet, the cash with uh, a digital note. Uh, Now, that could reside on your your, uh, cell phone. Uh, It could reside in some kind of a digital wallet. And essentially, uh, it allows you to perform all the transactions you can with your cash with that note. Now, obviously, there are various design issues, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the information on who you transact with is being recorded somewhere, who records it, uh, is it the central bank uh, or the government which records it, or is it your local bank which issues you the currency on behalf of the central bank? So that's one form. Another form is uh, where you have an account at the central bank rather than having an account with your with your bank. You have an account at the central bank, so anytime you want to make a payment, money goes from your account to uh, the person you're paying, their account at the central bank. Now, this is how large entities and large banks transact nowadays. But with computing technology, now you can make uh, it possible for everyone to transact. What's the advantage? If you make a payment, it's a final payment. It doesn't go through many hoops and uh, and uh, um, it's, it's uh, just as banks pay each other. I think that's an
1: interesting point and I want to come on in a bit about how this might affect the current sort of financial system. But firstly, I just want to ask sort of what's prompted the discussions around central bank digital currencies now? What is something, what's been a catalyst behind it?
0: Well, clearly the technology has improved uh, to the point that you can have these autonomous cryptocurrencies, which uh, basically uh, don't in fact, require a central bank, that's Bitcoin, and can be transacted uh, sort of between people with an entire apparatus uh, setting up to make it possible for the transactions to take place, the miners and so on that you you hear about. Now that's a totally decentralized currency. Uh, The problem of course is that many of these currencies require a fair amount of transaction costs to maintain them. Bitcoin, for example, and a huge amount of energy is uh, in that particular case is spent we also have currencies like uh, like libra uh, or the attempt at uh, at libra which is still in the works uh, which is issued by facebook um so uh, these are all private uh, digital currencies and of course one of the problems with private digital currencies is uh, they're restricted to the network in which they work And there are also a whole set of issues on, you know, how safe they are. Sometimes these are stable coins, which means the value is is maintained. Uh, If it is a stable coin, then it raises many of the issues that banks raise, right? That you have to support the value of the stable coin in the same way as banks support the value of their deposits. Do they have sufficient resources uh, to provide that support? Are they adequately uh, so capitalized, do they have adequate liquidity? Essentially, uh, you know, a, a stablecoin becomes something very bank-like and and perhaps uh, has to be regulated like a bank. Uh, that leads to the possibility that uh, perhaps to benefit from the network effects, as you know, in a network, the more people there are, the more valuable it is. If I can transact with anybody on earth with my currency, it makes it so much more valuable than if I can... Con- Uh, transact only within my small community. That's why the dollar is so powerful relative to the Zimbabwe uh, currency. And so in that sense, uh, having a a central bank-issued digital currency can allow for more possibilities. The problem, of course, is that if you are issuing it so widely, um, you know, you get a huge amount of information you, um, you know, determine how that information and what information is collected. And uh, that has both benefits, uh, but also costs. Uh, you know, do you trust the central bank as much with uh, details on every transaction you make? Should the government know? Uh, the beauty of uh, the cash in our hands is that uh, it's anonymous. And you know, even if you're not doing something illegal, uh, you don't want the government seeing everything you do. Uh, on the other hand, uh, from the government's perspective, you know, if uh, you can hide transactions from it, uh, it worries a little bit. Can it collect taxes?
1: So, so Raghu, just lay out for me, you mentioned a couple of advantages there. What would you say are sort of uh, the big advantages in favor of a central bank digital
0: currency at the moment? The biggest advantage is lower transaction costs. Uh, that... Today, for example, if you want to send money to somebody else uh, and that somebody else, for example, doesn't have an account, uh, it's it's quite hard. And uh, certainly, if you want to send money across borders, it becomes even harder. Uh, you you have to go to a Western Union, pay your money, they take a big fee, and then it goes across, across borders. Um, now... I think with the digital currency, it becomes easier. You transmit to them the details of the digital currency and uh, immediately they have that ability to spend it there, right? So uh, so that's uh, that's the advantage, lower transaction costs. And then, you know, you so many things become possible. For example, uh, in the Internet of Things, um, you pay for everything uh, that you use, but you, you make micropayments. Well, with digital currency, micropayments become so so much easier. Uh, If you had to pay half a cent every time you read a new article, uh, it would be mind-bogglingly complex to keep track of it and to make payments. Uh, But with digital currencies, uh, it can become easier. So those are some of the advantages, Uh, essentially uh, significantly lower transaction costs and uh, I would say the, the the additional advantage is you don't have to uh, give anybody credit, right? So, uh, for example, credit cards are an easy way of paying. But uh, today, uh, the credit card company has to offer me credit. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's a process by, the, by which that happens. Uh, with the digital currency, I make a payment. Nobody needs to give me credit, just like with cash, uh, so, so uh, it offers you the ease of digital, um, you know, technology, uh, but also offers you finality, which actual cash offers you. The disadvantages uh, are that, uh, you know, one is what we've already talked about, the uh, accumulation of data with the government. Uh, that's a good thing in the sense that the government can follow uh, transactions more closely. There's less illegality. It can collect taxes. Uh, it's a bad thing if the government is untrustworthy and uses it for purposes which are not uh, appropriate. Somebody uh, sort of goes through your your data and and uh, derives a whole lot of information on who you are, which you would not want public. So that's that's one uh, concern. The second concern is uh, a huge amount of disintermediation can take place, right? If we all could have checking accounts at the central bank, why would we want checking accounts with your local bank? After all, the central bank offers you finality in transactions, but is also safer. So uh, it could be that uh, a lot of money moves to the central bank. And then the central bank has to figure out how to get it back into the economy and the you know, main way it gets it back is by, you know, lending uh, to firms in the same way as, as banks do, uh, or lending to the government. I mean, all those things create new complications. You basically have the central bank as the main intermediary in the economy. And uh, that could be problematic. Uh, why, you know, do you really want the central bank doing all the intermediation?
1: In terms of of what you've just said there, it seems like, potentially could have very wide-ranging implications for how the financial services um and the financial system looks in countries across the world. Do you think that this is something that uh, banks would be on board with just given some of the disruptions potentially to their businesses and
0: business models as well? Well, banks may have no option but to figure out how to embrace it, right? But they could be a very vital part of the ecosystem. Uh, for example, in this uh, G30 report that uh, that we've put together, uh, our, our thought is that perhaps uh, a reasonable bi-media uh, balancing these various concerns might be for the central bank to issue a digital currency, but the process of of giving it to everybody and to manage the the accounts, etc., be given up to the to the banks themselves. So it's a two-layer system, just like with cash. The central bank issues cash, but the cash is then doled out to you via ATMs, not on the central bank, but ATMs run by the banks, which uh, take money out of your accounts. So if, if there is a decentralized process and if the information on how you spend, et cetera, is maintained not at the central bank, but at the bank level, there could be a certain amount of decentralization, which is good. Uh, and and protective of customer interests uh it also means that the central bank doesn't have to do things like know your customer and so on which uh would would I- imply a huge bureaucracy while uh the banks already have the people to do that uh let them continue doing that so uh, there could be intermediate structures i think the the whole uh, sort of uh message of some of this work that uh, we have been doing at the g30 is that it is time that we don't sort of uh neglect this area but recognize both its possibilities as well as some of the concerns it might raise and start focusing it on on it uh, in a in a more systematic way from the perspective of the national authorities
1: and you mentioned that G30 paper and in that you discuss, uh, say, potential designs of a, of a central bank digital currency. One of those is what you call a, a direct CBDC and the other is a hybrid CBDC. Just just briefly outline kind of what those mean and, and have you thought about which might be a better route to go down?
0: Right. So, I mean, uh, to uh, just focus on the main possibilities, uh, they are uh, a wholesale CBDC, which is what we have right now, a wholesale central bank digital currency. Essentially, all the big players, uh, certainly the banks, have accounts at the central bank. Perhaps that could be expanded to a number of other financial sector players. And essentially transactions can be accomplished between them at very low cost by central bank transferring money from one account to another account. Now that's eminently that's feasible today. Uh, beyond that are two possibilities. One where the central bank issues the digital currency, but uh, it issues them to the banks which further issue them to, the, uh, to, to its customers so i mean just uh, for the sake of uh, of conceptualization supposing the digital currency is a bunch of uh, of numbers if you if you have that string of numbers you own the digital currency okay it's a private string okay so the central bank gives that to 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 its uh, its banks and the banks then when you come for your money just like with an atm uh they give you a set of serial numbers these are the currencies that the uh, the notes that you own. And then you go and transact those notes. And then there's a process by which they keep track of who owns those notes, just like Bitcoin, uh, etc. There is a system that could be a system where, you know, somebody keeps track, who's permissioned, uh, uh, an authority who keeps track, it doesn't have to be the decentralized process of keeping track that, for example, Bitcoin has. Um, so that's one. that's the um, sort of uh, indirect or or um, um, hybrid uh, central bank digital currency. Uh, that's probably how China is going to implement its digital currency. And then there's the uh, centralized uh, central bank digital currency, where the central bank uh, essentially issues the digital currency directly to people who come to its door. And uh, it keeps track of everything. And the concern about the central bank dig- direct central bank digital currency is the the banking system gets intermediated uh, disintermediated, and um, you know that um, has its costs in the sense that the central bank now has to has to maintain um, sort of a huge amount of staff to uh, transact with the public to deal with complaints, to um, do uh, open accounts, know your customer norms, and this and that. Um, there's also a concern when the central bank has so much of a role that even if the uh, banking, the commercial banking system um, uh, continues, um, the commercial banking system, uh, its ability to issue deposits becomes more fragile because... Um, when I have a deposit account uh, and I'm in March this year, when there's a lot of concern about the economy, um, you know, uh, I, I fear that my account may be in jeopardy when it stays in the bank. Um, probably not so much this year as in 2008, 2009. Let's say 2008, 2009. And and when I fear that, I want to take my money out. But if the money is anything sizable, I worry about it being stolen from my home. Uh, I worry about it uh, being burned down if my house burns down. I don't want to take out all that cash and keep it at home. Now, with a digital currency, I can take it out and I don't need to keep it at home. Uh, I can just um, you know, keep it. And uh, so the ability to withdraw large amounts safely and keep it without cost, without having a whole uh, you know phalanx of armored vehicles uh, guarding that currency uh, that becomes much easier and so the worry is if there's any risk to the system, you could get bank runs because now converting to digital currency is much easier than converting to cash and hiding it under your mattress.
1: I'm just going to take you away from the interview for a moment to bring you this short message.
0: Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The
1: best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career. Have lots of careers. Try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Here are from our CNBC anchors reporters, and global business leaders on CNBC.com. At the start of the podcast, I said that central bank digital currencies are different to, say, Bitcoin. Again, Bitcoin is not centrally owned or issued, and we do have an episode of Beyond the Valley on this topic, if you want a deeper dive. But the idea of digital currencies has progressed, and now we have this idea of stable coins. These are digital currencies backed by an underlying asset or multiple assets and perhaps the most well-known and certainly most controversial is one called Libra, a project that was started by Facebook. This caused quite a stir among central bankers around the world when it first was announced, mainly because of the fact it was pushed by Facebook and the bankers were concerned about the power this company wields, especially as Facebook has come under heavy criticism for some of its data privacy record. We do also have an episode of Beyond the Valley on Libra if you want more, but for the purpose of this discussion it's interesting to think about a world Where all of these exist together, central bank digital currencies, Bitcoin, and Libra, or can they all exist together? Raghuram
0: Rajan weighs in. Well, I would like to think that these private currencies uh, are also uh, in competition with the central bank digital currency. Um, I think it would be problematic if there was a monopoly private currency. Because then that monopolist gets a tremendous amount of power. I also think it's a problem if there's a monopoly central bank currency, digital currency, without you know, safeguards on the central bank's uh, use and management of, uh, of that currency and the data that accompanies it. Remember, what's important now with the digital currency, and probably this is a point I should have made earlier when you asked me about the uses, is that you get a lot of data which you didn't get, the cash transaction is anonymous. Nobody knows who I gave that cash to. With the digital currency, I know precisely who you gave it to, right? Uh, uh, I mean, yes, you can shade it a little bit with Bitcoin. We sort of don't quite know, but we actually do know there are ways of backing out identities and so on. So um, the reality is there's a lot of data going to be generated by the digital currency, which can be used for the good or for the bad and and therefore some competition is useful with some ability to integrate the data because you don't want the whole thing to be Balkanized if if all the data is held in small pools then nobody really knows uh what's going on so how do you integrate the data but maintain safeguards that uh that uh, you know nobody can misuse it uh, those are some of the challenges that we have and so i would love to see a number of private currencies But coexist with the central bank currency and and see sort of what wins out, and it may be that you have multiple currencies.
1: Uh, But in the case of Bitcoin, because it's interesting, of course, because it's a sort of decentralized current or cryptocurrency, decentralized digital coin that doesn't have any kind of central authority to it, versus say a Libra which is being pushed by a consortium of companies led by Facebook. I mean, in the Bitcoin example, is that something you feel um, will continue uh, to be around even when you have central bank digital currencies? Or do you feel more that sort of, that Libra style of currency where it's, it's pushed by, by a consortium, by perhaps a company behind it, will be more
0: prominent? Well, um, the question with uh, Bitcoin, and it's a special animal given that it took off so early, uh, is that it seems to be a a speculative asset rather than an asset which is used for transactions in such a big way? Right, the costs of doing transactions on bitcoins, the time it takes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, is quite high. Uh, time it takes, the money it takes to uh, to to conclude a transaction. So, some of the benefits of uh, of digital transacting in the future, which is doing micropayments, um, doing many payments, uh, those are not likely to be easy using Bitcoin. And uh, as my friend Austin Goolsby often says, uh, the, the joke is that at the Bitcoin conference, they don't take Bitcoin if you want to register. Uh, it's too costly for them to, uh, to take that. Uh, I mean, I I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the reality is Bitcoin is now seen as more as a a speculative asset. And, you know, in times when um, sort of uh, normal assets are less uh, less, uh, attractive, for example, in this period of low interest rates, uh, you know, you worry about the value of bonds. And, uh, you know, why would you uh, buy bonds when interest rates are negative? And so people then move to assets like gold, assets like Bitcoin. Now, how? In in that sense, you know, Bitcoin is a little bit like gold. In fact, gold has some value because we value it for jewelry. But uh, Bitcoin, uh, you can't even do that. Nevertheless, it has value because others think it has value. The the classic sort of. Um, sort of I, I don't want to use the word bubble, but that's, that's uh, the asset which has value because everybody else thinks it has value. and, and so. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Libra is an attempt to uh, create a currency which is used for transacting. And uh, that the, the whole idea is not to hold it as a speculative asset which increases in value because they're going to try and, and keep the value stable. It's going to be a stable coin but use it for transactions. So the ultimate underlying uh, value is gonna be from the central banks. They're gonna preserve the value, uh, not of Libra, but what Libra can be exchanged into. And uh, uh, therefore, uh, it's not you know this Bitcoin kind of uh, um, fantasy where you worry that the central banks are all trying to debase their currency, and so you're going to have a separate currency, which is not going to be debasable, which, has, uh, which is independent of human uh, action. Uh, that was the sort of uh, story behind, the, um, behind Bitcoin. So uh, uh, the bottom line, I, I think, is different uh, private currencies will do different things. And it may be Bitcoin has value going forward just as a store of value or as a speculative asset while, uh, um, you know, Libra may be uh, the kind of currency which is used more for transacting.
1: I just want to get your view very quickly on on why there was such a negative reaction from central bankers around the world when Libra was announced. Um, And just following up on that, how you see whether it be Libra or whatever comes next, uh, other private uh, sort of currencies coming up, how you see them interacting or playing a role with Central Bank digital currencies
0: Well, I think the worry with uh, with Libra was uh, really in its early forms, uh, it was uh, uh, on the one hand, very ambitious in what it wanted to do, but very vague in what the what the safety precautions would be. And, and that worries central bankers tremendously, right? That here is somebody who's trying to become a world currency, uh, which might even displace a number of, uh, of, uh, of currencies uh, across the world, especially the smaller ones, but doesn't tell you, you know, very much about how, you know, for example, the data are going to be protected, uh, what kinds of safety uh, mechanisms there will be, uh, so that's the worst uh, sort of uh, possibility for central bankers, right? Something that's going to take over the world, but we, which we have no uh, strong confidence in that uh, you know risks will be contained. Um, so that uh, resulted in in some early pushback. I think since then, uh, both the degree of ambition has been become more contained. Uh, as well as the details have become more clear what they aim to do and how they aim to uh, to protect it. Um, it still is the case um, that, uh, you know, given the controversies Facebook uh, sort of um, has gotten into, that, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of trust building that has to take place before it has, um, you know... Uh, all the doors open to it on the financial side. Uh, central bankers would be very, very careful about opening doors until they're confident. Um, but that's that's really, uh, that's perhaps why you got the reaction.
1: Uh, Rago, I just want to get a final uh, question here in, is if you look into your crystal ball, uh, how do you see central bank digital currencies developing? How do you see them playing out? And, and when do you see some major economies begin to implement some of these? I know we've already got China talking about the, 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 their electronic payment system and the, the digital yuan. Uh, but how are you seeing this playing out going forward?
0: Well, I I, I think what we will see is, is competition among central banks. Um, initially, I mean, they are, a large number of central banks talking about it we already have some uh, uh, sen- you know some countries coming out with uh, uh, you know digital currencies uh, they're not necessarily the most uh, attractive uh, sort of countries but uh, but people are trying uh, and and i think uh, the chinese central bank is the first the pboc is the first uh, major central bank to come out with a fully fledged idea f- of how it wants its digital currency to be, and I think as countries see it, um, they will start thinking about what they want. And one of the things we're arguing in this this piece is we need some sort of broader global rules of the game. Uh, you know what what are uh, countries going to do with data collected from abroad? On who uses their currency? Uh, how do you make sure that the usual safeguards on that use are there? Um, you know, uh, just if uh, if um, if uh, somebody uses a foreign digital currency uh, to buy certain services which could compromise them. Uh, can they be liable to to espionage and uh, and uh, blackmail, uh, etc. Uh, and those are concerns which are not uh, far fetched in today's world. So uh, how do you keep those those in in um, That's one set of issues. The second set of issues is what if I'm a small country whose currency is not not um, sort of um, not not trusted. And suddenly everybody starts using, um, you know, the a foreign central bank digital currency. That's what's called dollarization today. It is uh, limited because you still need to get the dollars in and you need to use them. And then if they become soiled and dirty and torn, uh, there's no way to get them back. So there are a lot of old dollars circulating in Cuba, for example. Uh, but if uh, the, the issue is uh, with central bank digital currencies, that's not a problem anymore. So, in the same way as we talked about disintermediation, do you get certain current countries losing the capacity to issue their own currency because they've become either dollarized or yuanized or renminbiized or whatever? So that's that's the other concern.
1: So where are we right now with CBDCs? As Raghuram Rajan said, lots of central banks are talking about them, but is the People's Bank of China, the central bank of China, that seems to be pushing ahead quickly with this? certainly ahead of other central banks globally. There's also been calls in the US for the Federal Reserve to embark on a digital dollar project. As it stands, this is really in the early stages globally right now. There will likely be a lot of debate. If CBDCs are launched, the financial system as we know it may well be very different in the future. What are your thoughts on the topic? Drop me a line on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. That's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.
0: Beyond, Beyond the, the Valley. Valley.